You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hey, Chad. Yeah. How many calories are burned during a marathon? Oh, whoa, that's a good one. I'm going to guess 3,500. That's actually pretty good. Wow. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I got one. It's 3,500 if you weigh 220 pounds, which is not ah, really okay. a marathon runner. It's between 2,000 to 3,500, ranging from 130 to about 220 pounds. And that's enough energy to charge your iPhone for an entire year. Just think about all Ooh. the selfies you can take while running. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's kind of a pity we haven't figured out how to do that, though. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, that's your daily recommended allowance from the American diet, which is not the best, which I'm sure we'll have an episode <laughs> about at some point. Yeah, I think it's like 2,200 calories, I think, for yeah, yeah, like yeah. the standard nutrition labels. Yeah, which is 85% carbohydrates. No, it's not true. <laughs> Just about. It's a lot. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to today's episode because last week after... Purdue, I went into a little bit of a depression slump. <laughs> it was <laughs> it's a heavy topic. Yeah, it was a heavy topic. I definitely didn't feel fuzzy about it afterwards. I'm glad we did it, but yep. it wasn't one of my favorite topics at all. Yep. Yeah. It just really weighs on your mind. Yeah. Today is day one of Orange County opening its beaches and parking lots. So we're stepping in the right direction, slowly but surely. It's going to be exciting to see what happens. But I'm, I'm glad that we can potentially take the kids outside, out of our premises, of our, <laughs> our yard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been 10 weeks, right? So it's been real. How have you guys been? How's the little ones? They're doing all right. Yeah, we're just slowly starting to get outside and do more things and be very careful. Yeah. But yeah, we're all... We're all surviving. How about you guys? We went strawberry picking for the first time. It's the first outing we've had since the COVID broke out. And we just figured it'll be nice for the kids. It's in a strawberry field. Everybody's far apart. It was really nice. It was it was amazing. It was down close to San Diego. Really pretty. But all the photographs, the little ones are wearing masks. And it's just, it's just like a <laughs> telling sign of the new reality that we're going to be living in for a little while. So it was fun, but it's still sad. You know what I mean? Yes. It's a little bit like the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah exactly. It's not all real. Because you can't see when people smile, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Which is odd. You kind of have to like get those cues from their eyes. Yeah. Which is something we're actually going to talk about a little bit today. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. We're gonna blame. We're gonna blame today on the eyes. Yeah. So let's get cracking. We're gonna be talking about a fitness product today that kind of like its wheels fell off around December of 2019. So last year during the Christmas period, and it's for Peloton, which I'm sure a lot of people are aware of. And this is one of the stories that I knew about what was going on because of the buzz versus the brand and its advertising. So I think in the longer term, this might be a good thing for the brand, but let's get started. So Peloton started in 2012. It's an exercise equipment company located in New York City. It initially launched with a really big Kickstarter campaign in 2013, and they touted their stationary bikes, allowing users to stream 
spinning classes online. So there's like a spinning bike with a massive screen in front of it. You pay for the membership and then you get a menu of classes with really good instructors that provide you your daily workouts. And then more importantly, you can brag about your progress on social media. And they started making these stationary bikes initially, but moved into adding treadmills as well. So it's a gamification type thing, similar to what you and I for years have done in CrossFit, but you can do it in the luxury of your home. Yeah. And what's really interesting to me is that they weren't started by like an exercise guru. Like usually there's some sort of fitness personality or just some sort of fitness expert that starts companies like this, but they were actually started by a digital media guy. So the Peloton CEO, John Foley, previously ran Barnes & Noble's e-commerce business. Exactly like fitness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sitting down and, and reading for long periods of time. But he was a fan of SoulCycle and Flywheel, these mm -hmm. sort of cult-like spin studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the strobe lights and the mist coming out and yeah. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. To get you in the zone. Yes. So he put his digital and kind of just social media chops together with the soul cycle model and boom, Peloton was born. Nice. So they combined a really aspirational kind of vibe in their marketing materials. They called it, this is fitness evolved. And they used this kind of like influencer instructor model took off really fast, sold nearly, I think, 600,000 bikes in the first five years, got off to a really strong start. They've had celebrities like Jimmy Fallon, Richard Branson, the Obamas touting their bikes. They've really been able to kind of leverage all the tools to promote their product and, and get it off to a really strong start. So how does this whole Peloton thing work? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's not cheap. I mean, you talked about 600,000 bikes sold in the first five years. These bikes go around $2,200. And then on top of that, there's a monthly subscription of $40, which then gets you all the instructors and features that really set Peloton apart. Mm. The subscription gets you a celebrity instructor. Nice. The goal setting and tracking, like I mentioned, and then this whole gamification and competition aspects. And I think it's cool. that's what really sets them apart. The ability to share your progress on social media, not just with the people that you're working against in your unit, but also just in general, because we all know people love posting stuff about health <laughs> on their social yeah. media platforms, right? And that's the real magic of Peloton. It's got a very strong motivational aspect. So why would somebody buy this? That's a good question. And it seems to be that it's really a brand for people who have money, but don't really have time. You know, it's an expensive product. It allows you to bypass the whole need for commuting into your spin class at the gym or at one of these specialized spin places. I don't know what you call them, a spin gym? Cult. <laughs> <laughs> spin chapel, but you can bypass all of that. You can do it with the speed and convenience of doing it within your own home, but also have the connection of being able to connect with other people in the spin class, during the spin class, communicate actually with the instructors and the live classes and kind of get that whole experience. So it's kind of this premium brand for people who are willing to spend more to have that club experience at home. And it really just combines the convenience of home workout with the incentives of social media and gamification, like you said. That's a huge thing, the gamification thing. That's part of the reason why CrossFit 
took off the way that it is in the US because you can share your results and your benchmarks against everybody doing the sport. And it's very similar to the same vein that Peloton is tapping into. Yeah, exactly. The ability to track and compare is very motivational. So CEO John Foley said that the Peloton buyer is someone who's between 35 and 65, a little older and more established. He says these are people who have children, live in suburbs, have nice homes, they have money and space, but don't necessarily have time. So these are all things that differentiate Peloton and have helped to make them successful, but they're not actually the reasons why Peloton is the best known. And that's where we kind of get into the subject that we're going to be discussing today, which is the infamous ad. The ad. (laughs) The infamous Peloton girl ad. So tell us a little bit about the controversy, Nico. Yeah. So leading up to the 2019 Christmas season, Peloton launched a huge ad campaign and they spent about $13 million on an ad called The Gift of Peloton. So let's play that spot. Okay, you ready? Yes. Now. Peloton? Give it up for our first time riding. Right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Yay. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. Let's go, Grace and Boston. 50 rides. She just said my name. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Okay, so let's break this ad down. For those who haven't seen it before, if you just listen to the audio, I don't even think you'd realize that there's much wrong with it because I think a lot of the controversial feedback came from the cinematography and the way that it was executed versus the idea and versus the audio. So just to give you a very quick breakdown, the ad starts with her walking downstairs with her husband closing her eyes and then revealing the Pendleton bike on Christmas morning. And then she says, you know, oh, wow, it's a Pendleton. And then throughout the rest of the spot, she actually films herself through like selfie mode on the bike, documenting her progress and speaking to her husband throughout the process, right? And eventually right at the end, you'll see both of them sitting on a couch watching this montage of a year that she's put together And then she says to him, a year later, I didn't realize how much this would have changed me. And thanks for the gift of Pendleton. So in a nutshell, that is the ad, basically. What you just described and what we just listened to on the surface. Sounds amazing. It doesn't sound like there should be this big, huge controversy (laughs) or anything. It just sounds kind of nice. You know, she got a great gift. She was a little nervous when she first used it, but then she ended up loving it. So seems like kind of a very average commercial. Yeah. So where did it kind of go wrong like <laughs> well let's make a list are you still, <laughs> how much time do you have so according to peloton the ad was intended to show a loving husband giving his wife a gift of health and fitness and then you and i talked about this yesterday yeah i'm really fitness oriented and for my birthday my wife gave me a 200 pound strongman sandbag And I could have taken great offense to that. And I could have thought, why are you trying to make me stronger (laughs) in my week? But that's what I wanted to have because I'm very into weightlifting and she knew that. So she gave me something that I wanted. So this is a little bit of a a double-edged sword in the sense of reading into it too much. But as when we started today's episode, her face, and for those who haven't 
seen the ad, we'll leave it in the show notes. She has a very peculiar, nervous expression on her face throughout the selfie videos that she takes. And I think that's where a lot of people got hooked on thinking of this in a bad light. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like she has this intense fear in her eyes. And then you contrast that kind of against the way... But, but that fear could be nervousness too. But yes, people thought it was fear. Exactly. I think the intention was it was just the nervousness that everybody experiences when they try something new. And a lot of people, especially as it comes to exercise, they're kind of nervous the first time you go to the gym or the first time you lace up your cleats to go to soccer practice, whatever it is, there's kind of a little bit of natural nervousness. And I think that, yeah. And so that's very normal. And I think what they were trying to portray, and then that kind of leads people to ask, why is she filming this every time? Is she filming herself? Is someone else filming her? It kind of feels like either this kind of almost like shameless social media self-promotion or the other component is that she's filming herself on a daily basis for her husband. And it just doesn't seem super relatable because she seems to be filming her progress for him rather than for herself. It's like all almost like reporting back to him on how everything is going. So it just kind of feels a little bit odd that she's super driven and motivated by the opinions of other people like you know maybe they just have a very healthy marriage and she's sharing her (laughs) her progress with him right yeah and that's clearly the intention of what peloton was trying to get across yeah but i think one of the things that also really contributed to how people perceived it was in film school one of the very first things you go over with camera angles is that the angle of the camera can really change the feeling and communicate certain emotions. Mm -hmm. So when you have a camera angle that's looking top down at someone, that makes them look small and weak and intimidated. And when you have a camera angle from the bottom up, that makes the subject look large, strong, forceful, and purposeful. And all of the camera angles were top down. But how many times have you ever filmed a selfie from your waist up. Well, yeah, I mean, you could film it just straight on. (laughs) And we'll get into some of the other things that just from a executional perspective contributed to a narrative that was completely unintentional. Yeah. So from the initial gifts and how messed up she felt in the beginning to the videos, to the shout outs from an instructor, to the end where they find themselves sitting on the on the couch and it feels like she made this whole thing for him. That's kind of like in a nutshell why people were outraged about it. Yeah, it just feels kind of manufactured. Like it's just done out of, out of duty. Like she has to, yeah. is kind of the way it comes off. So the reaction online, and when I say online, I'm talking about Oprah, Vice, CNN, Time. Like, you know, <laughs> at lot, age. Yeah, at age. A lot of really big <laughs> media outlets jumped on this. Their reaction, not necessarily mine, is that ultimately, although the ad centered around her, it is actually all about him. It is about a gift to her from him, his desire to see her change, and ultimately her gratitude to him for somehow showing her the light, so to speak. In the terminology of feminist studies, the ad is all about this male gaze that we always read about. 
even as it shows a female progression. So it takes the male perspective for granted. And beyond the weirdness of that, that's what makes it actually sexist and offensive to many viewers. But that was obviously not the intent, right? And again, if you see Monica Ruiz, her face, the actress's face, you'll see why she looks fearful versus nervous because she's just got a very timid expression on her face. And here's a really cool interview with her on the Today Show where she explains just this. Let's listen to that. When you think about the negative, because I have some friends who saw it and said, oh my gosh, it did seem sexist to me. I didn't love it. I have friends who were like, what is everybody talking about? Yeah. Did you understand like what, why people got spun up about it? I mean, honestly, I think it was just my face. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> it was my fault. My eyebrows mean? looked like worried, I guess. I don't people know. There's a like, picture behind scared. me, y'all. That's the one that she says is at the heart of this whole thing. I'm telling you, it was my face. That was the problem. And it just, just went, you know, exploded from there. Um, she looks worried. And I'm like, oh, no, my eyebrows. They moved. They moved. They moved. <laughs> So I guess that I guess a lot of people have Botox and stuff and their eyebrows stay straight. We're not used to seeing it anymore. It's too much. So anyway, you can hear that that she uh, she also goes on to say that she really enjoyed filming it with Peloton, and she was very nervous about coming on the show because she didn't want to put them in a bad light because it was a very good experience. But it just shows you how the actual intent spiraled out of control. To what? So what was the reaction, Chad? Oh, where do we start? <laughs> it was it was immediate, it was widespread, and it was intense. I mean, people were just having a field day with the ad. There were kind of like two different primary streams of criticism, that of it being kind of frightening and creepy on the one hand, and then on the other hand, that it was actually just truly like offensive. And so the New York Times called it sexist and dystopian, said it was like an episode of Black Mirror. Wow, that's I've only managed to watch <laughs> two intense, episodes right? of Black Mirror that I couldn't anymore because I wanted to be able to sleep. Yeah, so Vox calls it an unintentionally terrifying horror movie Whoa. and said it was the sequel to Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Ouch. Adage called it a male fantasy ad and said it would likely dent the brand image. Mm. And then parody ads were made. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> One ad had a woman going through the steps of like the original ad, all while saying out loud how offensive it is that her husband gave her an exercise bike for Christmas and eventually serving him divorce papers. Wow. I suppose the best known parody ad was made by Ryan Reynolds and his company Aviation Gin, where the same actress is sitting drinking with her friends at the bar and the camera is like facing them and they toast to new beginnings after the friends tell her, you look great, by the way. So let's play that quick ad and we can just listen to that as well. This gin is really smooth. Yeah. We can get you another one mm -hmm. if you like. You're safe here. To new beginnings. To, to new, new beginnings. beginnings. Yeah, so they're sitting in front of the camera, all three of them, and then she downs her gin, <laughs> and then her friend gives her a new one. And that, that's kind of like the gist of that. But yeah, so what was the fallout from this, the reaction? Well, I think the biggest thing is just the brand's stock dropped by 9%, which for Peloton meant big dollars. It was about $942 million. Dollars, yeah. Million. Yeah, yeah. A lot of money. Yeah, just massive drop. And that actually happened in one day. 
So once the whiplash came cracking back, the stock market reacted in a major way. The company said it wasn't linked to the ad, but there was a sales lull following Black Friday that year. And Mm. Peloton actually did quickly rebound to almost its previous level pretty shortly thereafter. But there was some significant short-term damage that was done by that massive drop in the stock price. And in the last little bit of time, primarily because of the coronavirus, everybody's trying to exercise at home, find ways to stay fit and, and healthy, and even just pass the time and have a diversion. Everybody's kind of building out these garage gyms and, and home gyms. Peloton has had a massive boost. They're up 66% over their sales last year. They can't even keep up with the demand. So they're really, really doing well now, even though it took them a few months to kind of get back to where they were. And now much beyond that original point. Yeah, this was definitely not a good thing for them at the time, but I think the public will eventually forget and look past it and it will just drum up their awareness as an aggregate and be beneficial for them longer term, as we've seen. Right. I mean, think about how many free impressions they got because of this controversy. Yeah. Hundreds of millions (laughs) media impressions that they normally would have had to pay for. Now, granted, it's negative. Yeah. It's definitely negative. But before this happened, most people, especially outside of the very core kind of niche target audience that they had, didn't know about Peloton. Yeah. Everyone knows about Peloton now. Yeah. And when you have something like coronavirus hits, that now plays very, very much to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And for their part, the way that Peloton reacted, they, from day one, said that they're standing behind the ad. And despite their 9% single day drop you just talked about, it didn't really harm the business. I mean, there's a statement that we found that they released weeks after following this whole controversy. And it reads like this, we constantly hear from our new members how their lives have been meaningful and positively impacted after purchasing or being gifted a Peloton bike or tread, often in a way that surprises them. Our holiday spot was created to celebrate the fitness and wellness journey. While we're disappointed in how some have misinterpreted the commercial, we're encouraged by and grateful for the outpouring of support we've received from those who understand what we're trying to communicate. So they are kind of dodging an apology, but tiptoeing on the edge of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of a non-apology apology. apology. Yeah. Which is in a way, I mean, they obviously made the decision that, you know, they didn't intend this to spiral out of control and they want to stick with their spot. I spent a lot of time reading some of the Twitter comments and some of the comments on this, and there's some really hateful stuff that people wrote about this guy wanting to make his super fit wife even fitter and she needs to drop another half percent body fats. And and I, I just don't think that's the way they intended it. And to your point, maybe the execution of the ad in the spot wasn't playing to what they were trying to communicate. But I think them standing by their ads the way that they did, in a way, in my eyes, was a good thing. Yeah, I think one of the things that they did was they didn't play into the cancel culture kind of outrage and kind of give it air, I guess. Yeah. That being said, they probably could have been a little more empathetic 
without saying, hey, yeah, this was a terrible idea. They could maybe communicate that they understand why it's important that women feel empowered and that, however, this was what our intention was, and this is what we're communicating, and we stand by that message, right? So they probably could have been a little bit more empathetic while continuing to kind of do what they did. But that kind of raises the question, like, who are they really talking to anyhow in the first place? So there's an Atlantic article that's titled, Peloton Doesn't Understand the People Who Love It Most. And basically what it argues is that the main marketing problem of the campaign, Peloton spent $13 million on a campaign that didn't really speak to their core consumer and instead ignited a firestorm of, of criticism from an audience that they ultimately didn't care about. And so there's a quote from that article that says, those people all live in a culture where exercise has long been regarded as punishment for the joy of indulgence and where women are supposed to maintain an impossible level of physical perfection well into middle age, lest they face the denigration of both the culture at large and their own romantic partners. Viewers who have spent their lives enduring those anxieties see them lurking just out of frame in Peloton's new commercial, which reveals a larger problem with America's relationship to exercise. It can't be fixed with a good product and some slick ads. So I think a big component of this is that you kind of have to understand the cultural landscape in which you drop an ad into. Mm -hmm. This was at a time when people like Megan Trainer and Lizzo, these really popular pop culture voices are really driving this body positivity movement. And there's a lot of conversation about the Me Too movement. And there was just some kind of poor timing combined with poor execution that allowed this whole narrative to get oxygen for the fire to get started and turn into something that Peloton didn't intend, but the problem was is that they left it open for interpretation. They didn't clarify what they were trying to communicate to the people that they were really trying to communicate it to. And Shala Hebbets, founder and chief executive of Think Media Consulting, said, while the ad has been accused of being tone deaf, its greater mistake is in creating a consumer that virtually no one can relate with. You see, that's the one side of the bitter feedback, which is pretty, pretty hardcore. And I don't know if I 100% agree with all of that. I do totally understand that it could have been executed a lot better to communicate what they were trying to communicate. But I wouldn't go as far to say that nobody can relate to this ad. Yeah, and probably the majority of people that saw the ad thought that there was nothing wrong with it. When you look at kind of the ratio of positive to negative comments, there were a lot of people saying, I don't understand what the problem with this ad is. Like, it feels just fine to me. And that includes a lot of women. Yeah, and during this time, there were a business insider leaked internal document from the company that they published. And the title was called, Who We Are, Who We Are Not. And this caused massive outrage as well. And there's a section in it where it says, we are, and then it got words, motivation, modern, premium, authentic, captive, confident, inclusive, streetwise. And then it goes on to say, we are not preachy, a fad, exclusive, sterile, goofy, cultish, and so on. 
And this in itself created a massive backlash. And, and that's really weird to me as well, because that's like the beginning of an equity triangle, which we have created for all our clients as we think of a brand and brand positioning. And it's nearly like people don't want to see the mechanics of how brand marketing works. As soon as they see of how we put things together, yeah. there's a resistance against it. And again, this is a really big online backlash when the document came out, which most probably didn't help them. But when I read that as a marketer, it's just the beginning of an equity triangle that you know we've done for a hundred of our clients. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously naive for consumers to think that there isn't any sort of purpose behind why a corporation yeah. is putting very specific advertising materials in front of them. Clearly, there's a, a very specific crafted purpose for that. But I think people just in general don't like feeling manipulated. Yeah. And so I think people who aren't familiar with how advertising works really felt manipulated through this. But remember, advertising and marketing is all about taking somebody's emotion from one point to another point through communication and through visual <laughs> stimulation. I guess the takeout here is that people just don't like knowing that or being exposed to that. They just want to feel that the brand's authentic in line with their mantra. And as soon as they see the logistics of it, they push up against it. Because I was very surprised to see the outrage about the brand doc that came out. Yeah, people love eating hamburgers, but they don't want to see how the ground beef was made. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. And the other thing to me that's kind of interesting about this with Peloton's brand standards is that they actually kind of violated a few of their own brand standards with this ad. Mm -hmm. So a couple of the things that were listed in the we are not category was that they are not aggressive, cultish, and over the top. Goofy. Yeah, exactly. Four things that that commercial all came off as. And so I think, again, it really comes down to execution. The execution was just poor. If they had spent five seconds at the beginning of the commercial showing the woman expressing interest in either overcoming her fears or improving her exercise regimen or whatever the case might be, there would have been no room for misinterpretation that the husband was forcing it on her or mm -hmm. kind of manipulating her into it or being in some way kind of like emotionally abusive to her and kind of forcing these reporting back, it was literally like five seconds could have changed the entire perception of the ad. Yeah. So the reaction is not just to the ad, and now it starts becoming to everything that the company represents, but of course, it all really stemmed from the ad. So what are the lessons to learn here? Yeah, this is an interesting <laughs> exercise for me because I don't always necessarily agree with the public's reaction but at the end of the day that is the reaction perception is reality when it comes to a lot of brands yep so you can say that peloton failed to they basically forgot the fundamental rule of communication that we're all taught in like communication 101 classes in college right where successful communication is when the intended message is received and understood by the intended receiver so we could say that they've done this wrong at a bunch of different levels. The ad was created within a bubble, that they didn't test and learn it. But 
as you and I discussed yesterday, even though if they storyboarded this ad and showed it to a focus group, yeah. they most probably would have said that's really good. I don't think it's the concept or the story that fell down. I really think it's the execution. And very often in a focus group setting, you're not going to show the face of the actress you know, and say, right, right. this is what she's going to look like. What do you think? It's more- You of, don't know yet. You haven't casted them. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> this is a tough one. You know, you can ask yourself- who could find this ad offensive or objectable and then why? And if you don't know the answer to it, then you need to ask more people. So maybe they did show the ad post-production to people, but then they've already sunk $13 million into it and they didn't want to change it. Who knows, right? right? But one thing that we're all learning these days is that perspectives are different and it's very unique and it's very polarizing. So even the most empathetic person, advertiser or brand have multiple blind spots that we see on a day-to-day basis. So testing messaging isn't just a good idea to make sure that you're being sensitive to the perspective you don't share. It's necessary part of protecting your brand from these massive catastrophes you couldn't have predicted because you simply can't be all things to all people all the time, right? So it is a very tough one. I, I do think that the execution flared this all up, but there might have been things that they could have done to prevent it. But then again, their sales are up. Everybody knows about the brand. So it's definitely not something I would advise a client to do. But in retrospect, I don't think it was the worst thing that could have happened to them. Yeah, and I think with the entire COVID-19 situation, We've really learned that people want authenticity. That's really just accelerated the general cultural landscape that we already had, where people really are kind of turned off by traditional advertising messages. They don't like to really see ads. Like when you go to Amazon to buy a product, what convinces you to buy it? It's not the description in the listing. It's the reviews. reviews. Yep. Right. And so if you have lots of reviews from real people that are really good, that's what kind of convinces you to take the next step, because we're all just at this point where we've experienced traditional advertising for so long that we've become desensitized to it and kind of see it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And so telling real stories of real people is really where the power is in marketing today. Yeah, and as we mentioned yesterday, maybe they should have used an actual user, an actual woman that is using their product today versus this actress that might have come across as a little bit more authentic. Yeah, exactly. They could have done a very similar thing, just documenting a real customer on her journey and got the same point across, but in a more authentic way that didn't feel quite so manufactured and surveillance-y. <laughs> yeah. So reviews, did you just say reviews? Yeah, so speaking of reviews, let's dive into two reviews, starting with a review by Lisa Hackett. And this says, refreshing and educational. I've been looking for a new podcast and was excited to find this one. Nico and Chad explore failures in marketing and add the right amount of humor. The episodes are educational, easy to listen to, and you don't have to be a marketer to enjoy. Thanks, Lisa. That's an awesome review. And then let's move on to the next one. And this is by You Got Jimmered Zero One. <laughs> <laughs> Love the username. And it says a marketing masterclass. 
The subject matter is broad ranging, engaging, and really pulls you in. Chad and Nico unfold layer on layer of marketing and advertising wisdom through fascinating, exhaustively researched stories. There's a really entertaining mix of current events and cutting edge strategy intertwined with the learnings of campaigns long past. Even though each episode is clearly well thought out, they make it fun and approachable. What I love about this show is that most marketing podcasts are heavy on tips and tricks, kind of tactical fluff that is probably great for like small business owners or social media influencers, not so much for brand marketers at established companies that are looking for advanced strategy perspective and how to apply all the tips and tricks the right way. Every time I listen, I always walk away with a totally new and unexpected perspective and a different way of looking at things. Thanks for putting together such a great show. Wow, that's a great wow, review. That was, yeah. that was an amazing review. So thank you everyone for your reviews. We really appreciate it. It's very helpful. Please keep them coming. And your review just might get featured on our show. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Speak to you next week. Thanks. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.